Hey everybody, I'm Dave Sandell. I'm Caleb Gardner. Welcome to the first episode of Best Album 4, a podcast where we talk about the best album for starting a podcast. <laughs> Caleb, we started a podcast. Apropos. There's a, there's a real chance that this is going to be our first episode, even though this is our third one we've recorded, so that'll be fun for the audience. Yeah. You know, it's uh, you got to go back and, and practice, I think, before you release the first one, so that's what we did. It's fine. But I, I also feel like this one, and maybe I overthought it, because I feel like this one, I really wanted to get the right album for this topic. And so that's why it took me forever to pick which one I was going to do, because I was like, oh, God, like this is, a, this is a big undertaking. You know, this is the only time we're going to do this topic. We might redo exactly. some of the other topics at some point, but not exactly. this Exactly. It would be interesting to, like... You know, 10 years down the road when we've got like a top 10 Spotify podcast, uh-huh. you know, to, to to then look back on the starting a podcast episode and, and decide if we would, you know, choose different albums. Ah, I like it. Uh, we decided to do this podcast because I think most music podcasts that, that I listen to uh, are, are reacting to new music that's coming out or doing kind of broad overviews of different artists. And, and some of those are really fantastic. Uh, and I have a desire to talk about some new stuff from time to time, but for the most part, just celebrate all of our favorite records and discover some new ones uh, that, or maybe some celebrate some ones that aren't actually very good, but are really fun. Uh, and uh, just talk about those, go in on those for an hour every week. Yep. And, and importantly, I think uh, we are providing a public service about which album, you know, deserves to be played for different life situations. That's so really, right. I, I think of this as like a how-to guide, you know, more than anything else. Like, here, here's, here's your soundtrack for this specific situation. Yep. I think that uh, we've picked some really relatable topics. Coming up, we have best album for running from zombies. Mm-hmm. Best album mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, cratering a social network. <laughs> yeah. These are very yeah. relatable topics. It's very relatable. I mean, the last thing that you want is to be caught running from zombies and then have to decide what to listen to. Right. You got to have that in your back pocket. <laughs> exactly. We should tell people, like, why we decided, or where, where we were when we decided to do this podcast, because I, I think that story's fun, too. Dave and I were at Riot Fest in Chicago and listening to, or about to listen to the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, who we both love. And started talking about this idea then and came up with, what, like 15 different scenarios right then off the bat that we could, you know, tell you what the best album was for. So we realized that there was really a need, again, to to, uh, provide this service. So each week we're going to talk about the theme. We're going to debate how you should establish criteria for what album to pick. And then we're going to pick the definitive best album. I think the fun thing about this this idea for me was always that there is no right answer, except for what we say. Right, right. Because <laughs> otherwise, why bother? <laughs> so uh, we are starting a podcast, so we decided to do best album for starting podcast. And uh, I went into this thinking about a lot of different things. Um, one was I was thinking about what literal music am I listening to while I'm, you know, trying to put together a graphic, which totally is not working, by the way, and we're going to have to find a new one. But by the time this is published, there will be a graphic <laughs> to go along with it. <laughs> uh, and then I started thinking about 
What really matters to me is figuring out what my criteria are. I have a a historic list of my favorite albums uh, that I keep updated pretty regularly. Uh, That one's about 250 albums long. And then I have another, I have that in a Google spreadsheet. And then I have another tab that has just like hundreds and hundreds of albums that I have considered um, for the top 250. And a long time ago, I finally established my criteria uh, for for what qualifies something as a top 250 album. but I Very think sometimes when I when I think about what's the best album for something, I don't necessarily think it's just because I love it. I think there has to be something else happening that specifically situates it in that time and space uh, so that it enhances the mood or it, it brings up something that wouldn't otherwise be brought up. It evokes something that sure. is a great memory. What are some of your thoughts when you think about the criteria for picking your best album for any given situation? I definitely haven't done the work that you have in terms of establishing your criteria for like don't, 17 don't, other don't. categories before it's we unnecessary. even. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I think it is a combination of, it's probably like tier one, is it the right album for that situation based on whatever criteria come to mind when we start talking about that situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um for me, for starting a podcast, I thought, okay, you need some kind of like entrepreneurial spirit or optimism. I kind of landed on you need irrational optimism because starting a podcast is like an insanely hard endeavor that and, and to get anyone to listen to it is like, especially over time, takes a lot of work. Mm. Um, so I kind of, I got to get that idea in my head first. And then I go like, what, what sounds like that idea? Like what? Usually, I'll come up, there'll be a few songs that pop up in my head first that feel like that idea, and then I kind of go from there to think about, like, does the entire album fit that idea or not? I think what's tough about something like this is, like, I've got, I've got, like, hype man playlists where I'm, like, (laughs) I'm going into something, I want to hype myself up, but it's usually, like, a playlist, right? Like, it's not just one album. So that was what I got tripped up on for this idea. I was, like, oh, starting something, like, what, what? entire album kind of represents that idea and that's tough are you aiming at the peak of that album or are you aiming at like the whole all 10 to 12 tracks or however many tracks have to fit the mood like have to bring something to the table i think it's got to be like either the you know some albums kind of have an overarching idea they follow um, some a lot more explicitly, you know, like concept albums, but some just like they the entire thing kind of captures a mood or a moment. And then I think about like when that album came out, like the context of when that album came out too, and like what were people listening to, what were people thinking about then. I think I kind of brought that to my album choice this time a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think that's what's fun about like talking about why why we chose what we did at the beginning. It's like there's no there's no good reason why this should be the criteria and something else shouldn't, but this is just where my head went. Let's uh let's go in on your pick first. What was your pick for best album for starting a podcast? Yeah, so my pick I I again, I struggled with this uh topic because I felt like one, I knew it was going to be our first episode, and so I was like, oh, crap, I've got to pick something, you know, good. But then I also, um, again, that, like, capturing that irrational optimism throughout an entire album, not just a song. Like, you can find plenty of songs that have irrational mm-hmm. optimism, yep. right? 
but capturing that irrational optimism through throughout an entire album i really struggled with because i was like you could go something a little bit more like dance hall like like upbeat throughout the entire thing you could go more uh, you could go upbeat in like a pop punk way but they're also like pop punk can be like deceivingly nihilistic in its actual lyrics <laughs> so a couple of the ones like I ended up being kind of second tier where like that, where I was like, this is, this is fun and upbeat, but actually if you listen to it, you're like, oh no, they're, they're, they actually don't believe anything is possible. So I ended up going in a more direction of something that was special to me when it came out and also has that irrational optimism thread kind of throughout the entire thing. And that is Mariah Carey's 1995 album, Daydream. <laughs> I have to give you context for this. So I want you to imagine a, you know, well, how, how old would I have been here? Like a 12 or 13-year-old kid in middle school in Oklahoma. And all my friends are listening to, you know, grunge. They're into, like, their Nirvana phase. They're in, you know, like, this is... This is like mid-90s, so you're getting, you, like, grunge has really hit the mainstream at that point, right? Yeah, we're almost we're almost done with grunge at this point. Like, it's, we've yeah. moved on to, like, you but know, like, the, the leftovers. We're almost done with grunge, but Oklahoma is just discovering grunge because we always <laughs> discover things, like, a year or two late. Sure. Um, but, but my point is, I am during this time going through a serious R&B phase and probably the only one of my friends that is going deep into like boys to men's two and TLC's crazy, sexy, cool and things like Mariah Carey's daydream. Why? I don't know. Like it's just me and my, my best friend at the time just were deep into R&B and could not explain it, but loved it. Went through an, went through a really intense R&B phase. What does that look like? So are you sitting around bedrooms? Are you listening to it in the car? Like, when, when do you listen to it? Well, I mean, listening to the car. I mean, in the sense that, like, you take your, you know, headphones in with your parents, I Oh, guess. right. You're not, you're not old enough to drive it for this point. I was old enough no, to drive it. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I was not. I was not old enough to drive yet. So, no, this is definitely me sitting around in my bedroom listening to, like, <laughs> water runs dry and just, like, crooning like you know feeling all the emotions of a like 12 13 year old kid oh, i love that <laughs> so daydream was right during that time and i feel like it was like it was also at this like moment where and you can hear it through this album like hip-hop culture is really starting to penetrate the larger culture right For sure. Like up until that time, you you had like it, it was very underground or you had like, you know, the NWAs of the world or whatever. And then you, you had Tupac and Biggie were really the to me, at least, again, the things that penetrated Oklahoma. Because like Tupac you were too Biggie. young for Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So Tupac and Biggie were really it for us. And this was right around right around then. Right. Like it's really starting yeah, to become world mainstream. Yep. yep. And so Daydream has this, like, whereas Mariah, I didn't realize when I was looking this up, I didn't realize this was her fifth studio album. Yeah. 
This is deep I in her catalog it, already. It's deep, yeah. I thought it was like two, maybe three at most. But yeah, this is five albums in. And she and really took... This is a took, big shift for her, yeah. It was a big shift. She really took a, um, a you know, shift in the direction of incorporating more hip-hop beats into um, what she was doing. And nowhere do you hear that more than the opening track, the classic 90s banger, Fantasy, which, you know... it. I feel like not only defines this album, but is really a defining track of the 90s, right? Yeah, I can't. I got to um, say, I, I, we are going to talk about a lot of 90s records on this podcast. Yeah, This I'm is sure. not the one I thought we'd start with, but <laughs> Fantasy <laughs> is the best. Fantasy is a banger. I mean, it was undeniable in 1995. It was undeniable throughout the whole rest of the 90s. Like, this is now this is a song you put on and you're immediately in the right mood uh, to listen to this song, no matter what was going on before you listened to this song. Yeah, it's just, it's so much fun. It, like, again, talk about a mood setter. Like, everyone knows it. Everyone, like, my my kids are now listening to this and, like, singing along with it and loving it. Like, it just, it has a lot of lifespan. But it also, it's got this great sample by Tom Tom Club, like, sampling some, like, 70s and 80s music, just like hip-hop was doing around this time. Like, um... I just I love it and and it starts this cadence of again kind of irrational optimism throughout the whole album because you've got like her talking about having this fantasy of this guy and you know just can't wait to get with this guy but then you've got all of these songs like always be my baby which is basically like a breakup song but being like oh you'll be back it'll be fine and then you've got the absolute heart-wrenching um, Boys to Men uh, duet track. Um, one Sweet Day, right? One Sweet Day. Yes, the absolutely heart-wrenching One Sweet Day. I love imagining little Caleb sitting in his room, belting out One Sweet Day. 100% that was what happened. Now, were you guys in duet mode, you and your buddy? Were you, like, doing harmonies? Like, what, what did that look like between you and your oh, friend? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, occasionally, occasionally. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Not just a, I mean, one sweet day obviously is is a, a force into of itself in the in this time. But um, with other boys to men tracks, you know, where they were doing harmonies, we're like trying to do harmonies with them. It was not good. It was not good. But it was fun. It was fun. You've got the you've got the uh, cover of Open Arms by Journey on this album too, ah. which I'm not honestly like. I don't usually get into covers. Like, it takes some, I don't know if I would call it uniqueness, but at least, like, some it like some kind of mm. spark of originality combined with, like, respect for the original track. And I don't know, I don't know how else to describe that or tell someone how to do that. Because, <laughs> honestly, I don't know that it's easy. But this open arms cover, you know, it's decent. It's, it, like, she brings in her like whole thing with like her vocal range and her emotion to her something range. that already was very emotional and like, you know, is a great track in, in, in and of itself. But I don't know. I, I just, I, the reason why this, I was listening to actually, I think, I think the, the way that this came was I was listening to fantasy with my kids. And when I was trying to think of this irrational optimism, I was like, what could represent starting an endeavor like a podcast that is one of the hardest things to get off the off the ground than a, a album that 
leads with the the, the track Fantasy and is called Daydream. <laughs> I love it. Right? Uh, thematically on point for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love this. Uh, so that year, I was looking at 1995. So the 90s are n- near and dear to us because it was like the formative 100%. experiences of our childhood. Yeah. And we aren't going to talk about the 90s every week, but they'll come up a lot. Uh, 1995, you had Bjork's Post. You had ODB. Uh, you had Raekwon's Only Built for Cuban Links. You had D'Angelo's Brown Sugar. And this is a stacked year. And then you have stuff that's just like, oh, and of course, Alanis Morissette, Jack a Little Pill, which I think was like one of the best-selling records of the whole oh, 90s. Man. And then yeah. you have like... All these amazing little, you know, not little albums, the, these big albums from big artists that I think have aged really well in my playlist. I don't know about everybody else's, but Melancholy was this year, Lamprey, Elastica, oh Garbage, God. like Foo Fighters debut record. Uh, there's just so much here. And of course, you know, Riz's uh, Liquid Swords is this year. There's PG Harvey's Bringing My Love. This is an amazing year of music. It really was. And what's this is what's funny is that, like, I was... I would say this is like the peak of my R and B years listening, but I would very quickly get into all of that, like melancholy. All of that would become very formative for me. But I, I don't know if it was because I felt like I was living in a culture that was kind of behind mainstream culture, or if it was just because I tend to take a long time getting into things that other people like. You know, like I, sure. I, I that has felt very definitive for me where. If something is really popular, I kind of resist it until it's not popular anymore, and then I get really into it. I don't know what that is about me, but that has been a pattern. So, Melancholy, all those, I would get super into later in the 90s, but Daydream, 95, definitely. I mean, it's it's it was the, one of the biggest records of the year. It's, yep. uh, you know, lasted, I think, probably her, her most beloved album. Is that true? Not sure if that's, that's true. It's up there. Yeah, I mean, it's up there. The Christmas album is. <laughs> I know. Oh God, that that track owned, specifically. Apparently. <laughs> I mean, good for her. I mean, she's been raking in money from that, <laughs> that track for. Is "Fantasy" your favorite Mariah Carey song? Oh yeah, easily. Um, but not. I will say, but not the version with "Old Dirty Bastard." I never liked the the update with. The inclusion of Old Dirty Bastard. The original about that. Is, yeah. The originals does it for me. I love Old Dirty Bastard. I'm not sure if uh I'm not sure if that's a unmatch made in heaven in those two exactly. verses. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh for my pick this week, I went in a starkly different direction, although still bangers, an album full of bangers, an album that I can put on and immediately be in the in the right mood to listen to that album. Uh, but mostly, I just wanted to talk with you about uh, how we're going to proceed on this podcast in a kind of gray area. I'm going to put you on the hot seat and make you answer some questions that you did not volunteer to answer, um, <laughs> even though I am volunteering both of us to answer them today. I know where this is. We are going to talk about the classic 2011 album, Watch the Throne, from Kanye West and Jay-Z. Black strap, you know what that's for. Yeah, we purple, my money purple. Y'all see purple, I'm open circle. Yeah. Who, like, are they even friends anymore? I mean, I don't, I'm so confused about their relationship now, right? I don't like, know who, who is Kanye friends with at this point, besides oh God, people who, point. you know, are in Kanye's point. inner circle. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I don't, they certainly haven't produced anything together in many, many years. And they were, I mean, Kanye's beats were all over Jay-Z's best records. And yeah. So these guys were like in it. And at this point, Kanye is like at the height of his 
career. Uh-huh. Like, this is my beautiful dark twisted fantasy right after that. And Jay Z, he's kind of in a fallow period of releasing new music. Like there's a there's a lot of new music coming out, but none of it is necessarily you know, him and his prime. But this is the point where he's like headlining major festivals. He's one of the first hip hop artists to yep. headline major festivals. And he's still, you know, if Jay-Z's on a track, he's often the best part of that track. Jay-Z and Kanye putting yeah. an album together was a big deal in 2011. It and it is just all bangers. Like it's, it's, it's from start to finish, you get two Frank Ocean tracks, which mm-hmm. we're going to talk about Frank Ocean later in this uh, podcast journey we're taking. Oh, I'm um, sure. He is near and dear to me. Uh, but these are just one joyful track after another. There's this, there's this song called "Who Gonna Stop Me," um, that has this, uh, you know, uh, Kanye's verse is underneath this really fun hip hop beat, and then it switches. The beat switches right before Jay's verse uh, to this like really intense kind of pummeling, pulverizing beat, and I get chills sometimes when I listen to it. Like the switch. It's so amazing. It's such a such a perfectly choreographed moment in any hip hop song uh, that it is it is one of my favorite hip hop tracks of all time. And yeah. I don't know if I can listen to this record anymore. I feel like when I listen to it, it's not joyful the way that it once was. And I think that's what yeah. I want to talk about is because it's weird to celebrate this record, but it was really important to me at at one point. And I think it is the best album for doing certain things, unless you just can't find any joy in it because of everything that's yeah. happened over the last couple of years. Uh, and and that's a really fascinating piece of, of history. Like when I think about, you know, various topics that we could go in on, Michael Jackson's going to come up at some point. And I don't know that's how you exactly talk about Michael Jackson. Right now. I don't. I don't know. Like, is it joyful? It's not joyful to listen to it, or at least it's not purely joyful to listen to it the way that it was when yeah. I was a kid. I think that's it. It's not purely joyful the way, you know, you'd put on Billie Jean a few years ago and you're just, again, immediately in the mood to listen to that song. Right? Yeah. Yep. Oh, God. Yeah. I remember this being just so big when it came out for all the reasons you just said. I mean, right on the back of my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, which I fucking loved. I mean, what an amazing album. Um, and then this and it was like this i feel like these two especially coming out like pretty close together Mm -hmm. really cemented people being like you know kanye is one of the best musicians in the game like not just yeah maybe not just in hip-hop like right of all time right yeah um and god it's just so sad to think about that like there's so many mixed feelings all all the reasons that you were just talking about i mean i yeah I guess one of my questions to begin with is when you have a record that was released in 2011 and you consumed it in 2011 and, and loved it dearly, and then years later, things happen. Kanye becomes a very different person, seemingly, uh, although apparently there's been traces of this throughout his whole career, but seemingly a very different person saying some really reprehensible things. Yeah. Uh, culture has largely decided to, you know, that he's too problematic to really embrace at this point. And, and I certainly agree with that. It's my kids are going through my, my son, Jeremiah, especially just really loves rap music. And so we're kind of going through the history of rap music, one album at a time. And thank yeah. God for clean albums on Apple music. Cause it lets us get into some <laughs> stuff from time to time that otherwise I'd have to wait several more years. But I find that when we listen to Kanye, you know, he, he loves, he loves it. And then I was telling him a little bit about Kanye 
uh, you know, about the things that have been happening and why people are upset with him. And we were listening to, to, to this album, uh, on the way to something last week, because I was getting ready for this podcast, and he's like, "Daddy, why are we listening to Kanye West? He's he's a bad person." I was like, "Yeah, oh, that's fair. <laughs> like, you're you're not wrong." <laughs> so, like, it's just the the joy has been sucked out of it. But yeah. if I'm talking about music, I want to go deep on. If I'm talking about music, I want to celebrate or that I once wanted to celebrate. This is way up there. Yeah. And so I don't know how to I don't know how to situate it amongst all the best album four conversations we could have. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the difference between having memories around music and, like, feelings that were developed before you found out an artist was kind of terrible. It's kind of, it, <laughs> I relate how I feel about this album to how I feel about Harry Potter. It's like, I've got so many good memories of that, <laughs> Yeah, reading it, yep. reading it to my kids, and now it's association with J.K. JK Rowling, who's very problematic, like, I don't know, like, right? So it's the classic, like, how do you separate the artist from the artistry? And I don't think, like, unlike some of the older, you know, like Hemingway, for instance, was very problematic for lots of reasons. But Hemingway is no longer alive collecting money from his books being oh, that's, sold. That's interesting, yeah. Right? Whereas, like, every time we stream something from a Kanye West album now... Kanye gets slightly richer and that I think that's where it it like makes me the most uncomfortable like it's not so much the art itself it's the is my activity actually contributing to the wealth of someone who is problematic and is going to be using that wealth in ways that make me uncomfortable yeah I, I don't feel this sense of needing him to be deleted from history I just have this personal question of should I be listening to this like is this yeah. good for my soul at this moment and, and what does this reflect about me as a human to like really love these records but then there's this other side of it where I don't know Jay-Z seems like a pretty good dude <laughs> like I mean certainly <laughs> I'm sure everybody who's that famous and that wealthy has things that could come sure, out. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. But I don't feel any of those mixed feelings listening to, like, you know, The Blueprint. I don't right, feel any right. of that listening to The Black Album. The Black like, that's album. That's just pure yeah. joy still. And, and so here's here's an album where half of it is this artist who I really love, and then the other half is Kanye. <laughs> and, I'd imagine uh, what you know, it makes us wonder, like, I don't know how to... Yo, that's a good question. Like, I don't know how to to think about, like... Well, is this album still okay? Because it's half a Jay-Z. And I can just think of it as a Jay-Z album. You know, the same way that I listen to Chance still. And I, I even listen to, like, the Chance songs on the, uh, you know, the um, the Kanye records. Uh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, okay, I want to switch gears a little bit, too. Like, there's there's the Kanye of it, but there's also, like, the, the, the two white guys talking about rap music. <laughs> Feels like a third rail, potentially. Like, should we just stick to, you know... Elastica and Smashing Pumpkins? Or, like, is it okay to go in on this stuff that we love and we can celebrate? I mean, we started off talking about Mariah Carey and and Daydream. So I feel like in my love for R&B music, I think that we can talk about the music and probably, I don't know, shy away from commenting on even talking about talking about talking about it feels problematic. (laughs) (laughs) I know, so I made you answer first. <laughs> I know. I was like, I, I wanted to say, like, there's certain things that we should tread on beyond, like, about the culture 
related to how the music came about. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we don't need to contextualize why NWA became popular in the late 80s, right? Like, true. There's, there's things that we know being students of history without actually having been, having lived the experience. Let's just say, I do think we can enjoy the music, you know, for the sake of the artistry. Well, I think there is something to be said for walking in other people's shoes. You know, like I, I find it Great. pretty easy to to sympathize and, and uh, empathize with the, the circumstances which meant most of this music is coming about just in, in the entire genre. It doesn't feel like it's, I don't feel like I'm co-opting it and making it my culture necessarily, but I do feel this sense of, uh, I get where this is coming from and I think it's beautiful. Like I think, you know, I, rap music in general is is tricky. Like there's a lot of misogyny. There's a lot of... Yeah. Uh, a lot of violence. There's a lot of, of things that I, you know, there's a lot of homophobia in, in some of the stuff that I listened to as a kid. But I can kind of contextualize all of that in, in, in its time and place. And I, I can understand, you know, that, that a lot of music is in conversation with the music that's come before them. And, and that a lot of this music is aspirational and, and not necessarily autobiographical. Or if it's not aspirational, it's at least like, this is fun. Or maybe it's just... This is how you sell records. Like these are the types of records people mm. are willing to buy, and so that's what you what you rap about. And I don't hold punk music or rock music to the same bar. There's so much punk music and so much rock music that is that is uh, problematic. That has yeah, so much misogyny 100%. and and so much violence. And and I don't you know hold that to the same bar. Like I don't uh, you know I was thinking about. Uh, like what's good for my soul to consume. And I think about Destroyer's album Kaput. I love Destroyer. Um, and like one of the opening lines of the, uh, you know, the title track is wasting your days, chasing some girls. All right. Chasing cocaine, you know, like <laughs> is every popular song in the last 30 years about women or drugs or money in some sense of the word. I mean, we already talked about Hemingway. So like culture has been <laughs> dipping into the drugs and, booze and girls thing for a long time but i do think you're right that hip-hop i mean if you think about the literal trials and like congressional hearings that were held around hip-hop in the uh late 80s early 90s as it was starting to get a grip on culture um you know was you were absolutely right held to a completely different standard because people were afraid of it there's sort of this this sense that i understood growing up of rap music is contributing to inner city violence as opposed to rap music is a product uh, of inner city violence potentially right. and that inner city violence is is some something like that is true about this community because this community is broken as opposed to systematic racism has created these communities uh, of you know right. uh, of poverty and and broken homes and all of the rest of it i i, I find that um i'm able to not even set that stuff aside but like have it all be in its context and find myself really enjoying, you know, it's tricky. Jay-Z will, you know, occasionally have these really deep vulnerable tracks where he's, he's kind of telling you about his life and, and, mm-hmm. and giving you a picture into what it looked like. And then the next song is like, you know, big pimp and, you know, like it's just, there's such different vibes <laughs> and yeah. I like all of it. Like, I really like all of it. I was a, I was a club DJ in college for like, you know, a year and, and by club DJ, all I really mean is that at a bar that no, I it was real. I mean, I, I was at a bar, uh, that had a dance floor and they hired me to play music 
every, you know, two nights a week or something like that. So I guess I can legitimately claim that. I'm not like, you know, Skrillex or something, but I, was, <laughs> I held my own, you know, on those those two nights. We sold a lot of alcohol, which I think was the the point. Um, people kept coming. And so... So it was really great fun to, to throw on like I just want to love you. Like that was an amazing song. Like you <laughs> oh, you yeah. you'd open up. I think was that Timbaland. I'm not sure. You you open up that that first few notes and people rush to the dance floor yeah. to, to dance to it. It was great great fun. And so for me, like hip hop can exist in in kind of multiple places at once. I don't know you know how qualified I will be to to go deep on some of these records, but I like them a lot. Like I like Liquid Swords a lot. I like you know, uh, Wu-Tang Clan a lot and Cypress Hill a lot. <laughs> and I like new stuff. I like Kendrick and, and yeah. Iron Mike Eagle and, and some of these uh, newer artists that, that I really love. We're going we're gonna to talk about a lot of hip-hop on this, on this podcast. And yeah, I, hope I that's okay. so. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, just speaking of contextualization, should two white guys be commenting on anything at this point? Well, that's fair. I mean... Does the world yeah. need another podcast with two white guy hosts? yeah. By the this way, if you want really... to advertise with us, you can email. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, this is a really depressing way to end what could be our first podcast. <laughs> maybe, maybe our uh, first and only. So that's why you should not listen to this podcast. <laughs> so one of the things we're going to, you're going to discover us finding it in the moment in a future episode, but here we'll just do it in this one. Do either of these albums belong in the Dave and Caleb canon? Like, are these albums like something... Uh, you know, wonderful, yeah, wonderful enough that that they kind of fit in that. If we had a hundred albums to recommend to somebody, would they fit in there? I don't think Watch the Throne would fit for me. Although there might be other Jay Z and maybe other Kanye records that would fit in there. Uh, Watch the Throne is probably not a pick for me yet. I mean, honestly, I think Watch the Throne may have been a pick for me, were it not for all the things that we were just discussing. <laughs> <laughs> It's great. Yeah, it's it's so good, and it was in such heavy rotation for me when it came out. And what about Daydream? Is that a canon album for you? I don't think it is. I mean, I I really love it, but I don't. I think that it's probably one of those that there's a few tracks that would have circulated more than the entire album. You know what I yeah. mean? Like on um, Caleb's Caleb's Kin playlist, yeah, mixtape. Exactly. Fantasy might be on there. Exactly. Now, if we're going to talk about 90s R&B albums, um, Boys to Men's 2 might be on my canon. That's, yeah. That's a great album. The TLC, uh, Crazy Sexy Cool. It's really amazing good. Amazing album. Yeah. Um, I so, don't know where Brown Sugar fits, but everything D'Angelo has ever made is yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so I don't think it is, but still, still great. Still really definitively 90s album for sure. What uh? What else were you thinking about picking this week? What's some honorable mentions for you? Uh, I again, I feel like I would probably realistically, if I was gonna hype myself up about up about starting something, probably do a playlist of like bangers. But I thought about Charlie XCX, like Vroom mm. Vroom. Um, Charlie XCX, I feel like is underrated in terms of her like prolific, just really fun pop dance kind of music, and that would be. I think really, you know, set the mood for starting a playlist, right? Um, I also thought about Run the Jewels. You know I love Run the oh, Jewels. Yeah, and sure. um, there's some just great hype songs Run the Jewels. But I felt like, again, underneath all that real, all that fun is definitely this 
super nihilistic streak and cynical streak. And I was like, maybe that's not the best for setting the tone for a podcast. <laughs> you know, so I went with the uh, unrealistic optimism of singing about someone breaking up with you, but they're going to come back anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I could have gone with a handful of, of Kanye records, obviously. But the only other record I was thinking about um, doing for this podcast uh, has nothing to do with what I eventually got to. It was Jay Dilla's Donuts, just because I've been listening to that record nonstop when I'm creating things for this podcast. So for some really? reason, that has become the soundtrack for putting together graphics, figuring out gear, <laughs> figuring out hosting. Uh, whenever I'm like doing things with this podcast, Jay Dilla's Donuts is... Uh, my go-to, and I hope that we find a topic sometime that that I can go deep on that record because it's Fun. it's great. Yeah, what do you listen awesome. to this week before we go? My family has been um, very much revisiting the ha- soundtrack to Hamilton, and I would say that you know, oh god, we played this so much when it came out. How can this still be so much fun? But oh, it is. It's still so much fun. This came out in 2015. That seems like, like just, that can't be true. I mean, that it was long a long time ago. Wow. And still fun. Like we rewatched the Disney like live, you know, performance yeah, yeah. one. Have you have you seen that? Oh, for sure. Several times. Oh yeah. So much fun. Um and my my 10-year-old especially has been getting really into it. So we've been kind of like playing it and doing uh, family sing-alongs in the car to it and like trying to challenge each other to remember all the words to some songs which is very hard um in 2015 yeah. i had them all <laughs> i don't know if i yeah, can do right? it all today yeah uh, um my favorite memory of this i don't know if i told you this my favorite memory around hamilton is the fact that my seven-year-old at the time now 13-year-old created an alternate version of the Hamilton soundtrack called Hamel Pig. And it was about the uh, guinea pigs in his classroom. <laughs> so he created, he, he made the guinea pigs in his classroom the um, stars of Hamel Pig. And he had every single track list written out uh-huh. as if it was about guinea pigs. And it was so So was it fun. like the... Same plot line? Uh, yeah, plot I mean, line? he didn't do all the lyrics. Oh, okay. He just, like, yeah. He just started, like, kind of mapping out, like, right-hand man was right-hand claw. Um, <laughs> Not right claw man. Right, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right claw man, yeah, exactly. Um, there was, like, oh, God, I think the Aaron Burr, sir, was, like, some lettuce, sir, or something. Like, I don't know. Like, it was just, they were all... They were all guinea pig related. Anyway, so I've got every time now we listen to Hamilton, I bring that up with him, and now he's super embarrassed. Nice. Uh, I have been listening to an album called Ladies and Gentlemen, We Are Floating in Space by Spiritualized this week. I don't know what got me down the spiritualized rabbit hole. Uh, they are not a huge band for me, although I, I certainly appreciate them and I've listened to their stuff in the past. I don't know but, Spiritualized. What genre is that? Uh, it's, you know, it's just kind of indie rock from the late 90s and, and into the 2000s. I think they just put out a record a while ago as well. Um, it's kind of long, winding, psychedelic-y songs uh, that are wonderful. They're wonderful, wonderful music. Uh, right. I have almost nothing to say about this record, though, so this is a this is a great way to end this podcast. <laughs> I should have picked something else. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's definitely our first episode. I don't know if you can tell, but we're going to keep doing more. And uh, uh, thanks for joining us today. If you want to find us, we are on Twitter at Best Album 4. You can send us your picks for Best Album for Starting Podcast for the podcast that you also are starting, because I believe everybody now has a podcast. Uh, well, and now they've got also... the soundtrack to their podcast that they're going to start. So you're you welcome. Go. And you can also send us topics for the future, ideas for uh, episodes, what we can pick a Best Album for as a service to you. <laughs> let's say you're getting married or you're firing someone or you know you're changing a kid's diaper i don't know why that is the scenario i thought yeah, of. or you're gonna go to the moon or yeah. you know your house is burning down and you're watching it from the sidewalk we know the album you should put on not off the top of our head help me help you <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll see you next week bye